Welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 277, recorded December 20th, but shared with everybody on Monday, December 25th, 2023. Merry Christmas to all those who celebrate. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixel Riffs, and joining me as always is a holly jolly Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Oh, I'm Holly, and I'm Jolly, and <laughs> if I never hear Mariah Carey again for the next 12 months, it'll be too soon, uh, But uh, which is funny, because I used to really like that song, and now social media has just ended it Just ruined me. it for you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well. yeah unfortunately. But uh, speaking of social media, if you are interested in the, some of the things that Johnny and I have been consuming on YouTube or TikTok, things about music, then you might want to check out the Render Distance. That's the extended version of the podcast that we record every week for our patrons. You can get access at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. It's usually a good 20 to 40 minutes of extra content every week. And uh, we really, really appreciate the support of our patrons that allow us to do that. Uh, this is the last live episode of 2023. So a huge shout out and thank you to our patrons to have continued to support the spawn chunks throughout the year. Both Johnny and I really, really appreciate it. This is going to be a chunk mail dispenser episode again, dipping into the uh, extra stocking stuffer full of email that we get. So we'll be exploring some email this week. That's brought to you by patrons because that was a, an unlock we had a long, long time ago. Uh, the monthly Minecraft hangout that normally happens at the end of the month will not be happening in December because Christmas is on a weekend this year. And uh, we will look forward to a beefier January Minecraft hangout to make up for the time. And the quarterly hangout will also happen in January. We'll announce the date a little bit later on. Uh, we have to wait for some of the data on the episodes and the downloads to come in. For those that don't know, if you're new to the podcast, uh, every three months, we sit down with our patrons and run over the downloads, the performance, the YouTube numbers, all that kind of stuff, just to kind of see how the podcast is progressing. And that's called the Quarterly Hangout, and that's available to our patrons as well. So lots of benefits to become a patron over at patreon.com slash the chunks. We talked a little bit even in the pre-show today just about our overall impressions of how 2023 has been. And we decided it's been a good year for the podcast overall. And it's been a good year for both of us in Minecraft in general. Uh, but Given that we last recorded on Monday and we're recording this the following Wednesday, I imagine you haven't really dipped much into Minecraft uh, in the last couple of days, Joel, but uh, is there anything new in your Minecraft life? There's not much happening, obviously, on the Citadel. I've been behind the scenes, like looking up uh, data packs and, and different mods, trying to explore mods for potentially adding some furniture and things and uh, just trying to think about the future a little bit, you know, looking at um, hopefully something that's going to be a solution for everything. Like we'd like to have some tables and chairs for the modern city as well as the kind of medieval style in Minecraft. And it's tough because I find a lot of mod packs or uh, data packs tend to add a lot of things that you don't necessarily need. Mm -hmm. You know, like, hey, it's a furniture pack, but then like it also has like blenders and, you know, stoves and things. And we're trying not to um, overcomplicate minecraft on the citadel and we want to maintain that vanilla vibe as best we can and so i'm actually looking into uh, and leaning towards developing my own mod or at least being able to write a data pack more complicated than just a recipe fix because uh the construction.ca which we've you know talked about a number of times on the show is a great website for making a quick recipe tweak i've used it to allow members on the citadel to craft wood products in the stone cutter as just a simple way it works pretty much the exact same way as putting a stone block in there except where you just get you know wood products out and it just makes for a faster more economic way to craft stuff when you're building huge 
towns that require lots and lots of stairs to make roofs and all that kind of stuff. It just makes a little bit more sense. So those are easy, but anything more complicated than that. And I find that I'm relying on other people. Um, I want to give a huge shout out and thanks to some folks that have either DM'd me on discord or written to me via email to express uh, the interest in helping uh, and, and pointing me in the right direction. I'm sorry. I haven't replied yet. It's just been a very busy week prepping for the holidays, uh, but that's kind of what I'm looking at right now in, in Minecraft. It's more about a behind the scenes focus and trying to figure out a solid plan to put a pin in, in West Hill and be happy with it and be happy with it in a way where we can move forward without having to revisit like every six months because the data pack or the mod has changed or hasn't updated and therefore it doesn't work. I don't want all of this work in Westdale to be something where if someone goes to revisit, I have to have this giant asterisk saying like, well, it used to look like this, but now it looks like this because this, that, or the other thing that we had in the game has gone away or doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, one of the reasons that I stay away from modded Minecraft in general, at least mm. for like my rolling long-term worlds like survival guide is because I, I worry about these incremental updates, especially now, now that they've been doing those more and more frequently, just kind of, you know, everything having to be updated so regularly and not wanting to lag behind any potential updates, um, especially just the small stuff like LA duplication, for example, like being able to double down on the amount of allays that you have and, and, and clone them from a single allay. Such a useful feature. And that ended up arriving in a situation where on Empires we couldn't update because we had all of these mods that were fixed on a, a set version and weren't going to be able to update for a while. Even some custom mods that were written for us by members of the community and people we were working with. So it's kind of... Yeah, it's a double-edged sword modded. Like, it allows you to add so much stuff that you think, okay, I could really use that in Minecraft right now, but it just adds to the long-term upkeep of a world that sometimes happens in ways you don't want. I would say that modded Minecraft does lend itself more to worlds or playing experiences that reset more frequently. I'm not saying you have to do it every few months, but like more than every six years, mm -hmm. <laughs> which yeah. is what the, the Citadel is going to be seven in 2024. And, and I think that that's definitely one of the frustrations, but that's something else that I think about when I, when I look at these mods or data packs that I may want to implement, uh, or at least the ones I want to keep, I think about like, well, what's the easiest way to do this thinking, uh, forward thinking in a way that will allow me to move forward easily. Sometimes data packs, it's just a matter of changing the version number because the underlying mechanics in the game haven't changed. It's yeah. just that they do update the, uh, resource pack version. The data pack version is now 27, like that kind of stuff. And, and those are easy fixes. It's just time consuming. And so if you've got a dozen data packs and then the version number changes from dot three to dot four to dot five over the course of three weeks, you kind of just learn to let the dust settle before you update the version number on everything. Cause it's, it's a very simple and easy thing to do in a text file, but when you have to do it a dozen or two dozen times over, and you have to do that three times in a row because they keep on updating you're like okay i'm, I'm getting kind of tired of this guys mm -hmm. you know like you just have to wait until things are seemingly moving forward at a, at a regular pace and they're going back to snapshots and not like um dot releases and, and hot fixes and things yeah and speaking of snapshots i'm going to save what i've been doing in the last couple of days for after our news read because uh, as we covered on monday's show last monday uh <laughs> trying to think of this as as next monday's show um there was a b snapshot added to the a snapshot that we got for week 51 of the year so snapshot 23w51a was released basically as we recorded the december 18th show and we got a b snapshot shortly afterwards um actually same 
same day. So one was in the morning and another one just uh, arrived with a crash fix in the afternoon. But that meant that the armadillo and wolf armor and uh, yeah, the, the associated set of features for those were announced and I got to play around with those a little bit. Uh, we'll also cover the fact that the technical changes in 23W51A included an update to Datapack version 27. This added a generic scale attribute that can be used to rescale any living entity, which does include players. Player reach distance can now be controlled with a generic block interaction range and generic entity interaction range attributes, and the maximum number of blocks an entity can step up without jumping is now controlled by the generic step height attribute. So that sounds like a lot of customization for maps and other things, a couple of parameters that you might want to play around with if you're trying to do some more creative stuff, even in your survival worlds. Thinking back to what we did on Empires Season 2, where we would have, you know, funny effects that would grow and shrink players to certain extents, and that is now possible through vanilla commands or attributes instead of us having to mod it in using the custom entity models mod that we were using on Empires. The block interaction range uh, does sound a little bit like the functionality that was intended for the crab claw, but obviously is locked behind commands right now. There isn't any kind of stuff associated with it, but for players who thought that sounded like an interesting mechanic, it's in the back end of the game now. So it is possible for players to mess around with a little bit of that stuff. And I didn't touch on that. I went into the survival features, but before we loop back around to my experience with armadillos and wolves, Joel, did you have any takeaways from the uh, the technical side of this B snapshot? So I, once again, watched Exomavoid's video on it. We'll have a link in the show notes. And I, I know I've mentioned uh, X's content uh, recently, but the, the, it's so good and covers all of these like little things that you sometimes miss when you quickly read over notes and go, oh yeah, they added the armadillo to Java. But then you've remembered that, oh, wait a minute, Java's got some different stuff behind the wheel than Bedrock. So there might've been some other changes and there were. And I thought that the block interaction range was really interesting as well as the uh, generic scale. And it's a hilarious video. You really have to watch to see like giant sea turtles and a giant villager. Mm -hmm. And I, if you've ever seen um, the 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 Universal Animation, the monsters one with like the the sea monster and the giant, um, the giant, I think it was a bee or a hamster or something like that. Like, and or if you've ever seen uh, Ant Man get large and he gets like really deep voice and he kind of feels very slow and lumbering, like. Just the imagine, like the imagination behind a forty-block tall villager and the honk noise instead of being a regular <laughs> honk noise. If somebody also puts a data pack or a, a resource pack in there where the honk noise is like slowed down, it's like a foghorn, yeah, <laughs> super deep, you know, like just it's wild when you think about the bizarre things that you could do. And for a little while, we had a, a data pack on the server just for fun, where the longer you didn't sleep the larger the phantoms would appear. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of a fun game to see, like, could you get a phantom the size of an airplane? And yeah, you could. If you didn't sleep for long enough, uh, then you can get them to come in really, really quite large, which was fun because it, the hitbox increased as well. So it made them a lot easier to shoot if you were having trouble kind of, you know, dealing with them. Um, ultimately, we just removed it because, I mean, it was a fun fad, but it didn't last. But I like the idea of that kind of interaction for any kind of fun things uh, accessible in vanilla commands and data packs. I also like the idea of a block range thing. And that just reminded me of the amount of satisfactory that I've been playing lately and just the difference in building in that game versus Minecraft. Now, 
it, you, it's kind of like comparing apples and oranges. You know, Satisfactory is a sci-fi game. They have like inflatable pocket dimensions. And so having a longer reach with like a laser pointer makes a lot more sense, right? Sure, yeah. But it just increases the speed at which you can be creative in Satisfactory. And I think it's it's really interesting to think about maybe people that don't have a lot of time in Minecraft are just so tired of like having to jump up three blocks to decorate the ceiling of their house. And if they could just have that extra reach, then they could do it a lot faster. And they're not tweaking anything else. They're just like, I just want to reach three or four blocks instead of, you know, or, or five or six blocks instead of three or four, whatever that happens to be. Uh, I'm sure you and I have both been in situations where you're doing texturing on a wall that's 40 blocks high and you really wish you didn't have to scaffolding up and do all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And that to me is is really interesting. And I was thinking about it from also an accessibility standpoint in that lately, because of all the river work that I've been doing on the Citadel, I get kind of motion sick with the up and down of the swimming. I find that side to side of Minecraft doesn't bug me too much, but the, the floating around and the constantly having to tap the space bar as you kind of like floating around uh, in the river and doing some underwater landscaping and stuff uh, really kind of keeps my Minecraft sessions short. And another thing that drives me nuts is that when you come out of the river, you're nowhere near any kind of stair or path. So you're constantly jumping up the one block kind of staircase up the riverbank. Yeah. And one of the things that was in the Exumovoid video was changing the default step up to one block instead of half block. So default is 0.5, which is slabs, right? Yeah, yeah. And then gen the generic step height attribute can be changed to one, three, five. I mean, five is kind of silly, yeah. but one block, if you were someone that got motion sick really easy, if you were someone that had motor control skills and you had a lot of trouble like jumping and stuff in Minecraft, and it was just easier to constantly walk up a single block without having to jump all the time, then you could just turn that on. And then your Minecraft experience is going to be just a little bit different than everybody else. But if it means that you can move around easier and enjoy the game more, great. You know, and I think that these kind of changes are, are really cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's effectively turning the player into like a horse or something because horses can do that. And that's one of the advantages of having them to ride over large landscapes is you can do that without stopping or jumping or whatever. So yeah, I think it's, it's neat that you can do that. You can also maybe apply that on the back end in let's say an adventure map setting, which is something we were talking about in the previous episode, um, you can apply that to like, if you're wearing a certain set of boots, you get like boots of long striding or whatever, and then suddenly you can jump up a too high block. And, you know, if you, if you add in some stuff that modifies the attributes on the fly, then you can do some really creative stuff. Thinking about the block interaction range, imagining something along the lines of the world border modifying maps like captive minecraft by the farlanders group where you can um you, you have a world border that expands allowing you access to more and more terrain with additional advancements that you earn and so every advancement that you get builds out the world slightly more so that you can interact with stuff further afield and they use that to control what you have access to imagining something where you can level up your player so that now that they get additional reach or additional range at which they can interact with animals you can feed your cows at a distance you can you know or maybe you scale it back so that they can only interact with things that are directly in front of them at first and then you have to do all of your mining and fighting at close range you put yourself in more danger but then as you level up it starts to become a bit more like traditional minecraft because it's really a superpower to be able to mine something that's five meters away from you you know it's not something that people can do in real life without some heavy machinery so i think that's a really interesting thing to give us control over i also thought it was interesting that the armadillo 
is not part of the experimental features in the Java snapshot. It's part of the 1.20.5 snapshot, yeah. just like straight up. So with your, you know, experience in it, like how how is that? It was good. I was, yeah, I was confused by that. And I thought, well, maybe that's just been put in the wrong section. Maybe it's still intended for 1.21, but it's not behind that 1.21 experimental features toggle. So I am slightly confused about whether we are getting these in 1.20.5 or, or not, because they can add them to the game already. It's not like they have functionality that is intrinsically linked with other features that were announced for 1.21 or, you know trial chambers or anything like that and wolves are in the game already so wolf armor can obviously be a thing but it's a surprise if they add an entire new mob to a minor update and the curious thing for me there is were we not voting to make it part of the next update or were we just voting to add it as soon as possible you know it, it feels like a strange way of presenting that to us now so i'm not certain on that yet i don't want to say definitively yes this is going to be a 1.20 point five and then it turns out that it's not but um having you know seen a few screenshots and videos of the armadillo i was interested in getting in there and taking a look at them myself once they arrived in java so i did dip into uh 51b the snapshot and uh fortunately enough was able to spawn somewhere that had a lot of warm biomes nearby so i encountered armadillos right away um just trek through a desert and a badlands and then i was there and the first interaction with them, you spot them at a distance. They stand out amid the savannah grass color. They are a distinct kind of... I, I think the closest thing I can compare it to in-game is something like dripstone. They would blend in perfectly well in a dripstone cave, but it, they're kind of like that pinkish-purple color. So you spot them on a hillside nearby, and then you run over to them, and they immediately curl into a ball. And I think encountering for them, them for the first time, they're very cute. Their walk cycle is... is really nicely animated and i think they have something that the art team has brought to the sniffer and the frog where there's a bit more consideration taken into how smoothly they move the speed at which they move based on their walk cycle and their size and so they don't seem to be floating in the same way that sheep and cows do they they feel a bit more natural and the scared behavior just makes them adorable to to look at um i think honestly the head and paws or feet or whatever you'd call them uh poking out at the front of them is the right call just to make them an appealing mob visually speaking um because if they just curled into a ball i'd kind of go okay what is that and then it uncurls and i'm like oh okay armadillo uh but it, it doesn't have the oh it's a cute little guy kind of feeling that it does when you you walk up on this block that has a head and a little pink nose you know i guess you could have both experiences if it's curled up but not facing you. Like if you're coming up on it from behind, yeah. then you're going to be seeing just the box. And so um, being able to circle around that and go, oh, okay. So, I mean, I guess the first clue would be like, it's probably not on the grid, you know, like it's because they don't yeah. have to face the, you know, the cardinal directions. They can just kind of be at whatever angle they were at, you know, before they got scared and curled up into a ball. I can imagine people going at them with a the pickaxe before they uncurl, but <laughs> thankfully they uh, they uncurl pretty quickly. Um and yeah, the, the other thing that happens quickly with them is when you brush them for scutes, I was expecting it to be a slow animation-based thing like with Suspicious Sand and Gravel. And so I held down the right-click button and my brush basically broke instantly because brushing them for scutes, it drops a scute right away in the same way that you shear a sheep, but it's not like a, a thing that goes away and then they have to regrow it. You just get a scute right away. 
and each scute takes 16 durability from your brush, which has a maximum of 64 durability. So four scutes, and it breaks. And so I just immediately broke a tool on this thing and panicked <laughs> in the way that I'm used to panicking when I, I hear that breaking sound and go, oh no, these tools were permanent, you know? Um, but obviously from a, from a fresh survival start, it was not the worst thing in the world, and I had enough copper and feathers that I could immediately make another one. But... I was just surprised by how instant the interaction was compared to how slow and methodical we have to be using the brush in other places and then how much durability it took. In retrospect, I understand the balance of durability to the amount of resources that we get because they don't want you to stand around brushing an armadillo forever and then never interact one again because you've got like... A stack of scutes already you know um you could theoretically do that with one armadillo if you had an inventory full of brushes but i think they wanted to make it something that they can't necessarily limit the amount of them that you get from an armadillo at once they could but it wouldn't necessarily feel right for the creature so instead they limit the amount that you can brush with a tool because of how much durability it takes but there's nothing else in the game that depletes durability like that. It's the equivalent, I feel, of, you know, when you hook your fishing rod on land instead of it landing in water, and then you retract it and you end up with, like, five or so durability taken off the fishing rod? It's like that, but on a whole other level. Like, it's it's kind of a shock at first that it uh, brushes them as quickly as it does. Given the crafting recipe for a brush, do you feel like it's too fast? Because you need, I want to say, six scoots to make wolf armor and if it breaks after four uses it's a brush and a half I, basically yeah yeah brush and a half so one brush is not going to get you one wolf armor so for the first time people are experiencing this they go they find an armadillo they brush it four times the brush breaks and they're like cool what can i do with this nothing, nothing. you've got to go get another brush <laughs> yeah you know i mean i guess there's the opportunity where it might have already dropped a scoot or two or if you follow it as you kind of sit there bewildering, looking at your empty hand where the brush used to be, there might be two more scoots that fall on the ground and that you could, you know, potentially use those to make the wolf armor. But um, yeah, I, I kind of wonder whether they should change the durability to the point where you get at least six out of the interaction just to kind of make sure people have that reward for finding the armadillo. Did you, you, did you find them tough to find? No, not at all. I mean, they were easy enough to spot. At first, I didn't see them in like the first biome that i went to but it was a weird tall savanna that was very kind of split up and didn't have a great right. deal of room for mob spawns anyway so a lot I, of height differences yeah things. yeah so i i climbed up that just in case there were armadillos like on the peak uh but there weren't so i, I went and found a big flatlands and and they were all over the place i ended up finding one and you know luring it around with a spider eye to be like okay let's go and find another one and let's breed them and then the next one i found there was another one just standing right next to it so i didn't even need to you know drag it all of that way um but yeah like i think honestly the brush thing is is balanced enough because i was collecting resources from scratch in this world obviously sticks you just get from anywhere so that's no problem i mined one copper ore and i had four copper uh, raw copper from that so i smelted a couple of ingots and then i killed one chicken and i got two feathers so that was enough to make two brushes anyway right you're not expecting to bring two brushes with you all over the place but i, I think it's one of those mistakes that you're not going to repeat twice right like you're probably right. yeah. you're probably not going to run into a situation where you're like oh i forgot to bring a second brush when you know that the armadillo is going to take a lot of durability off of those tools.
So did you make wolf armor with the scoots afterwards? I did. I did. And it took me longer to find a wolf than it took me to do basically anything else <laughs> in this video. <laughs> I was I was traveling for a while because wolves are forests and then anywhere spruce trees grow. So it's groves, uh, tiger biomes, uh, mega tiger, like old growth tiger um, and like snowy tiger. So you find them in the places you find foxes, but also a couple of other biomes. And... I think I found mine on the border of a grove biome and a forest, but it was thousands of blocks away from spawn because all the biomes around my spawn area were warm biomes, including like the oceans and stuff, right? So it was jungles, savannas, deserts, no wolves around anywhere. And I haven't gone like intentionally looking for wolves in any world recently because I'm not really a wolf guy. Like I don't tame them all that much in, in, in Minecraft. I don't find them all that useful as they currently are. And it was kind of a weird thing of like, you know, the the one thing you're looking for, you can't find it, you know? Um, so, so it took a while to do that. Eventually got a wolf, tamed it using a couple of bones, added the wolf armor on. First impressions, I think it looks cool. Like, I think in person, when you're used to wolves looking just generic and normal, and that's what every wolf has looked like since they were implemented in Minecraft, they look different with the wolf armor on. And that alone is a novelty that makes it like, oh, okay, this is kind of cool. Um, I think the armor looks natural on them when they're moving around because they've got separate kind of uh, parts of their body. And when they get in water and then they shake off, um, the armor sort of changes color with the wolf texture, which kind of gets a little bit darker and grayer as though it's saturated with water. And then it gets back on the on dry land, it shakes off and then uh, that color goes and so does the color of the wolf armor it sort of looks like this sort of dull waterlogged kind of pinkish color and then it mellows out back to the uh almost like leather armor color that it has naturally so there's a bit of dynamic to it you know it feels like a uh, a reasonable merging of the dog and and the armor in texture terms and i ended up using them as an assist in combat which i've not done for a while and I don't think it's necessarily down to the armor. The armor has not changed the game as far as wolves go. But I looked I look back at them and think they do actually have some helpful aspects in terms of the combat experience in Minecraft now. I think the last time I actually used a wolf for anything combat related must have been before the combat update, before 1.9. And they're actually pretty good at chasing off skeletons. Because skeletons in survival pve combat they're a pain they run away from you so they can get at range and then they tend to strafe a lot so they can be quite difficult to catch up to if you're used to melee combat you can return fire with a bow um but when a wolf is active in your little group the wolf will chase off the skeletons and the skeletons interrupt what they're doing and focus on running away from the wolf which is pretty useful they're the only ranged mob you're going to encounter frequently and a single wolf was chasing off like two or three skeletons at a time so it was actually pretty effective um wolves also won't attack they, they attack anything that you do so if it sees you starting on a zombie then the wolf will come in with an assist and if a wolf sees you getting attacked by something else it will also jump in and try to defend you but they won't attack creepers under any circumstances so i've seen a lot of people comparing it to like you know does the wolf armor defend it from a creeper explosion probably not because point blank with hard difficulty a creeper is doing a lot of damage and that's going to one shot a player much less something more fragile in theory in theory like a like a wolf um 
but the only reason a creeper will explode near a wolf is if a player doesn't do a good job handling the creeper. So in a way, that's on you. Like, it's still Mojang's right. internal philosophy of, like, creepers don't do damage to your buildings. You, effectively, are the one who does the damage by not taking care of the creeper in the right way. Like, not giving it the space, not attacking it from range, whatever. So, ultimately, if if the wolf dies, it's your fault, is what I'm saying. It's kind of a harsh, um, you know, a harsh philosophy to take. But, uh, yeah, the only time I... Uh, let the wolf explode next to a creeper. I was playing on normal difficulty. It was point blank. The wolf was standing directly next to the creeper and it didn't die. It had the armor on. It was probably at full health. It's kind of measured by the height of the tail on wolves. And the tail was like all the way down. It was like drooping, but it still survived point blank from a normal mode creeper explosion. And I think that's a benchmark. Like, I think if you're playing on hard, you are putting yourself in a situation where you expect the game to be more difficult. So that's the kind of thing that you need to take into account when you're playing on a higher level of difficulty. And that's the level of difficulty I expect a lot of players will be testing for because a lot of people play on hard. There are certain benefits to doing so. But you end up with, you know a larger amount of creeper damage as a result and i think people should be prepared for that if they're expecting to use wolves for combat on harder difficulties my only other note for wolf-based combat is they could use a speed buff and i don't know if that's something related to the armor or just like once you've tamed a wolf they should be faster but they were implemented absolutely ages ago and their speed doesn't really seem to have changed but I think wolves should be faster than players and they should definitely be faster than skeletons because if you get a wolf chasing a skeleton across a flat plane and the skeleton is constantly moving and the wolf is constantly moving, the wolf is never catching the skeleton <laughs> because the skeleton is always running away at exactly the same speed. So the only thing that allows the wolf to catch up is either you intervening and maybe like knocking back the skeleton so it's in the wolf's attack range or the skeleton having to climb up a block or something so that it slows down to do that and make the jump, and then the wolf can step in and attack it. But I do think, given that they are graceful, agile animals in the real world, I think if we're going to encourage players to use wolves for combat by introducing wolf armor, I think they could honestly use a little bit of a speed boost just so that they can keep up with the player and keep up with the pace of combat and be useful in that circumstance. I think keeping up with a player would be really handy because then you're going to have less, you know, wolves getting caught underneath the overhang of something or caught in a little, you know, river or small you know, Minecraft water pothole where they just, they can't get up the other side because they're trying to path you. And as far as the attacking goes, I kind of wonder whether that could have something like, um, a brief speed bump, you know, like a, a charge attack or something when, yeah. you know, when it's after a skeleton specifically, which makes sense thematically in which we you know they already attack skeletons, you know, if they just, if they get excited and they just, they rush after the, you know, they get skeleton zoomies and they yeah. decide to go <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, and take, take out the skeleton. I think that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Like they're, they're a dog chasing a bone at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Like they deserve to have a, a little, a little faster pace to them. And if you're taking on zombies or if you've got some spare food on you, you're going to be able to heal your wolf throughout combat. And, I was able to basically spend a night fighting stuff with this wolf and getting enough rotten flesh that I can just feed the wolf as we go meant that, you know, it wasn't taking any fatal damage at any point. And the wolf survived the entire experience as long as I was 
at least, you know, helicopter parenting this wolf a little bit. I kind of had to hang around and make sure that it, it wasn't getting severely damaged. Eventually, I let a zombie attack me. It was an unequipped zombie as well. It didn't have, like, a sword or anything, because it would have done more damage if so. But I let a zombie just attack me within melee range and then let the wolf fight the zombie. And the difference is, if you don't attack the zombie it will change its targeting to the first thing that attacks it. So the wolf will go after the zombie because it's hit you. But then because the wolf attacks the zombie, the zombie switches its targeting to the wolf and is going to attack the wolf in exchange. And I wanted to see who won that fight. And the wolf won, but just barely. Again, it was like drooping tail situation probably needs a good bit of healing. So one-on-one -on -one against a zombie, they're about on even footing. And that's something that you need to be aware of if you're bringing it in there and expecting it to defend you and expecting you to take a more passive role in a, a combat situation. Or if you get surrounded by stuff in a cave, it's probably not going to go super well for you. Ultimately, though, I think the main problem with wolves is not changed at all by wolf armor. And the problem is hostile mobs will respawn infinitely and your pets don't. And that's the, the main issue, is that, you know, everything around you is going to be a constant and consistent threat, which, you know, leaves you able to respawn, but your pets not so much. And I think we are so used to, as a society, loving and taking care of pets, dogs especially, the beloved the world over, like, I don't see anybody starting to treat wolves as a disposable resource in the way that the game mechanics invite you to. And this is my problem, something else I highlighted in the video, with taking axolotls into an ocean monument raid, is that you end up losing a lot of axolotls in the process, and if you've got attached to them, if you've even named them or whatever, you find that they're getting picked off by the Guardians, and yes, they can fight back against the Guardians and often win, but then the Guardians are just going to be respawning elsewhere in the structure, and you're not really doing anything to limit Guardian spawning at that stage because you're still working in a completely waterlogged environment. And that's the main problem. So I think we should earmark that for a future discussion if we're seeing a push from the community to have a, a, a broader conversation around wolf armor, I think we should talk about whether or not pets should be able to respawn. <laughs> because I think that's a discussion that should be had alongside introducing mechanics that firm up the combat options for uh, tamed wolves and other combat-focused mobs like this. One of the things that jumps into my mind for that discussion is the idea of a pet bed which I'm sure lots of people would want for both cats and dogs. Mm. And maybe it could be a singular item that you could assign to either a cat or a tamed wolf in the game. But that kind of thing, meaning that uh, a tamed wolf that you've obtained, if it dies, could die permanently unless you build it a pet bed, at which point it will then, I don't know, I'm not sure how you would assign it to that bed. But if it does, if it does die, then the penalty is like, it's no longer with you on your adventure. You've lost that uh, that challenge. But when you get home, that pet is just waiting for you because it's respawned in its bed, just like the player does, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and I think uh, somebody on in the comments of my video today had the same suggestion, which also brings to mind, like, you know, it's it's got to load the chunk to appear there in the same way that, like, putting a mob through a nether portal, it has to load the chunks around the nether portal so that it can go through into the nether and be there next time. And so I feel like maybe there are performance issues inherent to having, you know, a wolf dies on one end of the map and reappears at your base on the other end of the map. But I, I suppose right. that's no different to some of the other mechanics we already have in the game. So, yeah, it's an interesting discussion, but one I think we will earmark for another time.
So moving on to our email this week, if you would like to email the show, the address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. First one comes in from Empty Empires, a rail of a tail. Hello, Johnny and Joel. Happy holidays. As much as I don't think we need more copper blocks, I can't stop wondering what if we could craft copper rails. Similar to powered rails, they would give your minecart a little boost. However, similar to the new copper bulb, depending on the oxidation state, it would propel the minecart at different speeds. The greener the copper, the slower the velocity of the minecart. This would allow players to have more diversity when it comes to adding kinetic energy to their builds. Not to mention, I imagine it would have some redstone uses as well. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts. Empty Empires was launched off the rails into a never-ending sea of copper. Yeah, I uh, first of all, happy holidays to you, Empty Empires. Uh, thank you. And yeah, the, the the connection of empires and copper for me is a is a very different one. Um, but yeah, I I like the suggestion. It's it's a well thought through one. And once again, anything which gets added as a feature for copper, you have to work out what oxidation does to it, right? And that was one of the potential discussions. Something that was never fleshed out about copper buttons that would have been added with the copper golem. And so I do like the thought process here of having different oxidation stages to prote- propel the minecart at different speeds. I think the overall issue is what does this do that is not just powered rails and how we use powered rails already? And also, does it end up devaluing powered rails since they are theoretically, at least in the early game sense, more expensive? If you look at the powered rail crafting recipe, it's six gold ingots. And if you were to craft rails out of copper, it'd be six copper ingots, which you're probably getting out of the average block of copper. Once you have a fortune pickaxe, you're getting, you know, up to 20 raw copper out of a single ore block. And you're not getting that with gold. So I think if they implemented copper rails and they worked similarly to powered rails, there would have to be a downside. There would have to be some sort of balancing act there. And the idea of oxidation slowing it down does make a certain amount of sense at least it requires you to invest more resources into like waxing them with honeycomb to make sure that they don't end up decaying anymore for example yeah from a control standpoint i like the idea and then from a transport transport standpoint i think that's slower minecarts is not what most people want i think usually faster is what people are looking for yeah yeah Uh, but i do like the idea when you think about redstone is the idea of slowing down something like a chest minecart or a hopper minecart, where the longer it takes to go over a hopper underneath it, the more items are sucked out of it. And that could be really interesting if you know what you're doing with redstone and you want either a specific amount of things coming out or you want more things coming out to make the uh, the cart more efficient, like a, a more efficient trip rather than, than a cart having to zigzag back and forth six or eight times. Maybe you could just make one trip slowly and empty its entire contents. Like maybe that's more efficient for your farm or whatever it is that you're building. So I think that's interesting and it has some ideas. Um, I, I see what you mean about the, the waxing though, because that's where I think like, well, I already find minecart rails to be tedious. So to then have to place them all down after building them all and then go back and wax them all at a specific type of of oxidation state it's a very specific use case even though it's cool i don't know if it's something that i would want to do on mass because i feel like that would be a real a real issue as far as like the the fun factor like it becomes a chore as opposed to a cool feature that's kind of like that kind of delicate line for me um but on the opposite end of that you know you think about leaning into 
minecarts that go faster uh and thinking about like how we'd have to wax copper rails i i wonder if there's a way to like quote unquote grease the tracks you know slime and honey are already sticky in the game so maybe wax is the way to do it mm -hmm. uh, or maybe instead of um just copper to make copper rails maybe you have to combine them with ice rails and maybe copper rails end up going faster you know like a, a pure copper rail could be faster than a powered rail or maybe you have to combine them uh with something like maybe the powered rail is the thing that makes the minecart go but the copper rail that is uh the least oxidized uh actually has the ability to increase the speed of an already moving minecart because it's you know it's it's slicker somehow but again like that's difficult to communicate visually and i mean it's less fun than the cartoony idea of like rocket powered minecarts or you know different things like that so i'm not sure where the balance is there but i like the idea of the uh, you know, like the metals that we have in the game being implemented in different ways and trying to pull from one another we've had a couple of emails over the last few weeks about um iron uh, and iron blocks and having trying to pull that oxidation feature of copper to iron and try to get more out of iron blocks than what we have now and um i think it's interesting to see how players are thinking about the different metals in the game and what they do and you're like wait a minute you know copper is a metal and iron makes rails what if you know copper rails were a thing and i i kind of wonder too whether um copper because it's so conductive could somehow be implemented i don't know how but like you know we, we see calls for like vertical redstone and all that kind of stuff sometimes and i'm wondering if copper could instead of going the route of rails be lean into that realm you know or maybe conductive rails even though that's what powered rails are i kind of wonder whether you could do something similar with with copper in a way that would I don't know somehow balance that out i like you said it's it's earlier game than gold in terms of the amount that you can get and so i feel like there'd have to be some sort of like dial back function but maybe that's a good way to introduce people to redstone like maybe that's if copper rails were a less complicated redstone feature than powered rails with the gold then it might be like a stepping stone but i don't know if it's necessarily necessarily a needed stepping stone yeah i, I think there's there's a few potential redstone uses outside of rails i sort of like the idea of copper rails being like uh kind of having the the third electric rail um <laughs> that, that gets a, a, applied to trains in real life um that you could maybe have a redstone current traveling along with the rail and so it keeps the same signal strength from one side to the other and then you know technically it counts as a minecart rail but it can also be a conduit for a redstone wire as in addition and so it doesn't necessarily increase the minecart speed but it has other redstone benefits um i also like the idea of maybe either increasing the amount that powered rails boost the maximum speed of minecarts minecarts themselves have a basically a predefined speed limit um and they move eight blocks per second in one direction so they can travel slightly faster diagonally in theory um but then uh if you double that and then maybe make the either have like the different stages of oxidation mean double the speed of powered rails in its kind of fresh copper state but then that dips to 1.5 times speed in uh an oxidized like when it starts to uh exposed copper um when it starts to weather and then weathered copper flips that and it's like 
0.75 times speed, so it's slower than a powered rail, and then fully oxidized is like half speed or something like that. You you could you could maybe play around with a little bit of that, and I don't know how a minecart would really handle the changes in traveling from one type of rail to the to the next. You know, if it, if it gets boosted by a, a regular set of copper rails, but then it immediately alternates between oxidized and fresh and oxidized and fresh like how is how is the minecart speed going to be affected by that because it's not like a a linear immediate change it, it breaks it slows down it has momentum that the rails need to you know either impede or assist so so there's there's some some weird mechanics to go into it that's not just like when it's traveling on this block it is moving exactly this speed what if it was a copper minecart instead of the rail I mean, maybe, yeah, that, that that could be another thing. Um, I, I I also got a comment earlier where someone said, "Why uh, doesn't Mojang realize that you can turn copper into buckets?" Uh, and and my response to that was like, "What would copper buckets do that iron buckets don't?" You know, <laughs> like yes, it it is convenient to be able to make something out of two different materials, but you know, yeah. So now all of your copper is made out of buckets. You still have a bunch of iron that you're just going to use for something else like it doesn't it just shifts the economy around you know and so i don't know if copper minecarts really have anything else to add unless there is something like instead of having momentum in the way an iron minecart does a copper minecart moves at exactly this speed if it is traveling over this type of rail but then you obviously have to include a different type of rail that allows for those mechanics to be supported uh so it's it's a it's a tough one um going back to what i was thinking about earlier though with the electric rail idea, I kind of wonder if copper could ultimately end up presenting players with a way of maintaining a certain level of signal strength without having to spend resources on comparators. Because right now, if you've got a signal strength of 8 and you need a signal strength of 8 to get to somewhere else in your circuit, you either have to refresh that somewhere along the way so that it counts down, goes through a repeater, gets back to 15 and then has enough room that it goes back to a full signal strength of it goes back to eight from a full signal strength of 15 or you have to basically put comparators in between blocks or redstone dust or whatever so that the comparator will pick up the signal strength going in and repeat the same signal strength coming out so it goes eight signal strength comparator eight signal strength comparator over and over again in a chain and comparators are expensive components so that ends up being quite costly i wonder if you could have a copper version of redstone dust that is good at maintaining signal strength rather than just having to work with these other limitations of redstone and we we speculated ages ago about copper being conductive and having copper wire and how that differs from redstone dust is always the uh the difficult part of the equation but i wonder if like coppered redstone dust or copper and redstone kind of mixed together could be uh, could be an answer to that i wonder if you could combine that visually with the idea of the rail in that maybe a copper rail doesn't have to look like a minecart rail maybe it could look like a monorail and oh, if maybe. it still worked the same way as a rail you would get the the rail functionality out of it with a different aesthetic but then if it was to go that wire route that you're talking about and have that um that aesthetic it like it would look like a wire too and still have that that maintaining the constant function i love the idea of a redstone wire or a redstone signal that doesn't decay but mm -hmm. can go over x amount of distances i'd imagine they'd have to limit the distance yeah before you'd have to repeat it again but if it was just even if it was the same thing as like 
every 15 blocks you've got to put in a repeater, then that's fine. But the difference is that over the course of those 15 blocks, you have the exact same signal that you started out with, whether it's two, eight, five, 15, whatever. I, I love that idea. Yeah. And I mean, rails work that way, right? Like the, it, it doesn't yeah. decay the amount of power that each rail is getting. It gets a fixed amount of power, but it has a cutoff at a certain point where it can't power more than 25 pieces of rail in a line before it has to you know be powered from another source so yeah there's there's options but uh i do like the idea of copper having more of a a a handle on redstone and rail technology in future we will see moving on though our second email comes in from specter vamp and the subject now is empowered goat horns hello johnny and joel i was listening to episode 273 and when you read the email about the cold resist potion i had an idea for a use for a breeze drop what if the breeze drop, a wind charge is a good idea, can be combined with the goat horn, be it in the smithing table or not, to imbue it with an effect similar to the wind horn in Minecraft dungeons? Maybe you need to craft or smith the horn and the breeze drop together with some copper to give it this effect, further tying it to the trial chambers. This could also add the copper horn texture back into the main game. Maybe it's just because I've been playing Minecraft Dungeons a lot with my family recently, but I think it would be a fun item with a lot of use for exploration and PvP uses. The idea of being able to yeet a goat off a cliff with its own horn is kind of funny to me. Spectavamp got yeeted by his friends using an empowered goat horn. What goes around blows around, I guess. Yeah, um, so so for people who are unfamiliar with the item from Minecraft Dungeons, I am very familiar with this because it was the key to one of my strategies when I was trying to do a, uh, a weaponless run back in the day. Um, the goat horn, uh, sorry, the wind horn in Minecraft Dungeons is an artifact you can use, has a cooldown so you can use it maybe every 10 seconds or so, and all it does is push enemies back if they're within a certain block radius of you. So it's effectively an area of effect knockback tool that doesn't deal any damage but just pushes them. And in Minecraft Dungeons it slows them down so you can clear a bit of space around you, end up giving your opponents a speed debuff basically yeah slows them down like a slowness potion would in vanilla minecraft and in certain circumstances you can use that to push them into pits where they can fall to their death and so on and so forth so you can imagine players using that to great effect in let's say sky wars or whatever like challenge map like that a a pvp map where there are lots of pits to fall into you know there's lava whatever like it could be a very effective weapon in the right hands I think there's a really interesting idea there too for players that don't like PVE, you know, like don't want to deal with a zombie, having trouble with a skeleton, don't like creepers. Like if you had this on your person as you're, you know, walking around a mountain and you get surprised by a creeper, you can just like quickly, you know, pull the trigger and just like push it far enough away that it's not going to explode, you know, and same thing with skeletons, push them in a range sending zombies off a cliff i thought it was funny that specter vamp's first use was to go back to a goat <laughs> and basically give it a dose of its own medicine mm-hmm. uh i've not actually seen any goats outside of uh jokes that have been delivered to me on the citadel so i've not had to deal with them in game but uh, it sounds like they can be kind of a pain in the butt but i like the idea it makes sense you know for taking the the breeze drop and and applying it to to the goat horn i I hope that we get more than that, though, because I, I feel like that's such a single use situation. And I kind of was hoping that you'd have, you know, the ability to do something rep- like more with it. And I guess if you put a goat horn that has this kind of wind charge attribute in it in a dispenser, then 
maybe you could use it to move mobs around or push players back on a multiplayer server from coming in your front door you know like having triggered effects you could have like a skulk sensor that triggers and just basically blow people off your drawbridge like that kind of stuff that could be really fun i mean as long as you're not being malicious about it you know and killing people but like i think that it could be a fun kind of like yeah sure come on over if you can you know and people just can't get in the front door because there's constantly being blown around by by wind horns yeah um, it's fun like it has some whimsy to it i just hope that whatever the breeze does drop eventually uh is going to be something that we can like craft something out of maybe you know brew something out of like i want it to be just more than a single use thing yeah i would agree with that i think it's always good when you have multiple uses for any given item um which is why the armadillo scute just being used to make wolf armor and if players aren't going to use that then that feels again like a a missed opportunity or something that has room for expansion in future um, the reason I like Spectavamp's ideas so much is that it encourages players to connect two very different parts of the game. And this is sort of like how we're required to bring frogs to the nether to eat magma cubes or use blaze rods and popped chorus to craft end rods. I think it's really cool when it gives you something like the breeze, which is only in trial chambers, and something like the goat horn, which you can only find goats on, like, tall mountains or maybe you occasionally right. get lucky and you find one in a in a pillager outpost but i think it's a really neat way of combining two completely different areas you're going from the tallest mountains to the deepest depths in search of the ingredients you need to craft this thing and it feels like a little subquest effectively it's something that you know the game isn't going to handhold you through it's not going to tell you hey go and collect this and then this and then bring them back to me and i will make you this incredible weapon like it, it lets you do it yourself but i i do like little miniature objectives like that that encourage players to experiment put the game together in odd ways and see what it does i feel like that's uh something that really has merit in the type of game minecraft is this sort of experimental sandbox crafting environment sort of like if you went to the nether and got a blaze rod and combined it with a, a wind charge and it gave you a trumpet and then you could finally communicate with villagers or something. <laughs> just, <laughs> just uh, yeah. at them whenever they, it's 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 yeah. a weird dialect they don't speak that one anymore language has evolved um yeah, yeah. but but no I, I think that there's there's some there's some fun to be had with it and i think one of the things i like is when mechanics like that will surprise you right like even even in my example with the uh, expedition I had to go on to find a wolf, I was taking a mob from the savannah and getting items from that, and then I was taking that item to a completely different set of biomes in order to find a wolf. It's typically only in forests and, and colder climates, right? So you are being encouraged to do more exploration as an indirect result of that without them saying, hey, this is specifically an exploration feature. So yeah, I, I do I do think the breeze deserves some kind of drop that has something interesting like that and the wind horn makes a lot of sense for that because it has a similar functionality to what the breeze's wind charge attack does but much more controlled by the player i wonder if there would be a way to apply the reverse uh you know like left click and right click for using the horn to displace things or the reverse it would suck things towards you you know and i'm mm. just again thinking about a dispenser where 
I'm not sure what you could do with it in terms of like you power it or then you depower it or a signal strength of like, you know, eight and above is strong and therefore it's uh, going to dispel things. And if it's a weak signal, seven or less, then it's going to actually um, suck things towards it. I'm just thinking about the kinetic energy comment we had earlier, where if you could have things in the game that we could move back and forth because of a dispenser with a goat horn in it, that's got this cool, you know, feature to it then that could be really fun for moving things back and forth, up and down. You know, you think about a lot of them in a row, you could make like a giant pipe organ looking thing that like plays music with note blocks, but then has things bobbing up and down just for aesthetics and fun. Like there could be some really interesting things happen. I guess the other thing that you have to think about is like, if it's going to make a noise, it can't be like a big honk. Like it had, it would have to be more of like a silent whistle maybe it only makes a noise when the player uses it but when a dispenser uses it it's just more like a breeze noise mm-hmm. uh, because because having the, the the sound without being able to control it would be kind of annoying as well but yeah i mean i can see some potential there especially because like if it does make a sound with or without the player like again what does that what sound does that register or a vibration does that register with a skulk sensor and you know that gets into like what we talk about where it overlays with a bunch of different aspects of the game, but I'd be curious to see whatever could happen with um, something like, cause the breeze, I mean, it looks like a um, blaze. So there's a, maybe a tie that you could make to the nether, but I wonder like if you get something like that new to the game, like a new drop from an aggressive mob, if there should be like a list of like, well, not just one area far afield, like you were saying, you know, with um, chorus fruit and blaze rods, but what if, there was something in every realm, like the end, the nether and the overworld. And they like, so it crafts three different things, you know, like the goat horn is, is far afield in the overworld, but what's the thing in the nether that you could craft it to? What's the thing in the end that you could craft it to that would create something interesting and fun for the player, you know? Yeah. You think about blaze rods, you can break those down into blaze powder from that. You can make fire charges. You can also make magma cream. It fuels potions which are also made with a brewing stand that needs the blaze rod it's like so intrinsically linked to several mechanics in the game and obviously the blaze rod has been around for a while so it makes sense that it has a lot of uses some of those have been added later with things like end rods and you know the magma cream being made into magma uh, blocks now is like a a separate thing that's sort of tangentially related to blaze powder Blaze powder wasn't initially required for potion brewing as well. That got added as a, a, a later addition. So things have evolved like that. And I think whatever gets added for these, even if it has a single use for the moment, and even if it has a sort of uninspiring use to certain play styles, there is always room for it to be developed in future. So whatever the breeze ends up dropping, there's a chance that that could change in future. Our next email comes in from Jumbo Sale, a content engineer in our Discord. The subject is letting my pets wander. Hi, Johnny and Joel. Now that wolf armor is almost in the game, it got me wondering if it will start to bring my wolves out of my base and then on to thinking about having pets in Minecraft in general. The issue I have with my pets is just how static they feel in my base as I just forced to make them sit down. I hope the AI for tamed mobs can be improved so they can behave more predictably and more like pets. Some things that I would like getting pets in and out of nether portals easily, getting pets to roam around in my base without them wandering off, and fixing how mobs like wolves and cats teleport in an unreliable way. 
I feel tame mobs have a lot of potential in making our Minecraft builds feel much more alive. Do you think changing the AI for tame mobs will make you change your mind about not having pets in Minecraft? Thank you so much for building an awesome community. Jumbo Sale frantically searched for his log files for his missing pet and really hoped its name would not appear in any death messages. I'll give another shout out to Viper Tricks who wrote in about wolf overhauls as well. Their question was more along the lines of, do you think that there's a chance Mojang will finally throw wolves a bone and bring wolf variants to vanilla? But rather than going to the length to go uh, talk about dog breeds, it was more about just adding actual different colors of wolf, like a black wolf, white wolf, gray wolf, maybe even a red wolf, that kind of thing. So I thought that kind of all tied in with like a, a wolf overhaul, given that wolf armor is coming into the game. A jumbo sale added some short lists of how those uh, wish list items would be implemented. And I thought that was interesting as well. Uh, tamed mobs will follow owner within line of sight, or if the owner is staring at them, sort of like an Enderman, or if the owner is too far away, but staring at a pet, that pet can then teleport wolf or cat uh, to the owner, uh, which is going to be start the behavior, you know, like an Enderman. Uh, there's also owner last interacted as a tag. That was an idea for tamed mobs with coordinates when the owner last interacted with them. So if an owner is out of sight, non-sitting tamed mobs would wander, but occasionally tries to pathfind back to the last spot where they interacted with the owner. And if the owner is in a different world, like nether, overworld, etc., then they would not wander until the owner is back in line of sight. So there was some thought from Jumbo Sale about like, I think what you were talking about earlier, Pixaros, about um, the the chunks having to be loaded, where the pet is and all that kind of stuff. And I think that, it, you know, the idea of changing the AI for mobs in game is is great because I remember when I first got a dog, well, I've got, I had two. Uh, the first one died when I was making a pond and I was just really disappointed. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, fair. The the game made me actually care about this little pixel dog. So that that's a win, but also frustrated that it died doing something silly because of terrible pathfinding. Now this was like six years ago. So like, like old, old stuff. Um, but then I got a new one and out of fear of it dying again, I just made a little dog house for it and made it sit in front of my house and it hasn't moved since. It's very, it's very good dog. Um, strong <laughs> strong listening skills um and then of course i haven't been in, in the meadows very much so like i barely ever see it so i don't i haven't really given it a second thought but i love the idea especially as someone that's been dreaming about getting a dog for a while that you know you'd have some sort of interaction or an ai for the mob would have like okay this is where i've been tamed or this is the last place that my owner told me to sit i will come back here and sit a couple times a day but I've got a wandering radius of like two chunks that I can just, or four chunks, whatever it is. And I can just do whatever I want, you know? And I think you could have some real fun with that, especially if they added some animation to the dog. Like, I mean, if there's a tree nearby, does it walk up and take a pee? Like just, does it, does it pretend to dig in the ground? Like a sniffer will sniff in the ground and kick up some particles, no blocks just being destroyed, just like doing dog things. And I think that that could be really fun. Yeah, I think the groundwork for mechanics like this has already been laid with the 1.14 overhaul to villages with points of interest. You could apply exactly the same type of system right. to 
pets and they would interact with the same objects lock it to the day night cycle even so they have different times of day the dog needs to go out and like touch grass every so often or whatever like <laughs> you know uh, put, putting it delicately um yeah like you don't necessarily want to have the same relationship with an animal than you do in the real world because obviously our pets are incredibly dependent on us for both their routine and their food and other things like cleaning up after your dog and i think minecraft players don't want to deal with all of that stuff but they still want to have the feeling that they are caring for an animal or that an animal can care for itself and that it has some measure of life beyond just being there and that's the problem with wolves and cats is that they are either with you running around and following you and making sure they are right next to you by teleporting to you quite frequently or they are just fixed in one place and yeah i, I expect if there was something like a pet bed that they would return to and so you could put one of those down they'd pair to it like a villager pairs to a bed as a point of interest and go okay while i'm around this i don't have to follow like so if you like roll up the pet bed and stick it in a chest the dog goes oh okay we're going on a trip and then that activates like a more permanent following behavior in the dog there's stuff like that obviously there are a few situations in which like maybe your dog has wandered out of the area i had this happen with my horses actually where my horses were leashed up to a fence post but the fence post was just over the line into a neighboring chunk my horse was standing closer to me and that chunk unloaded unloading the fence post that they were leashed up to and the horse wandered far enough because the fence post wasn't loaded that the lead broke and the horse could just keep roaming and so i ended up with a couple of the horses and donkeys that i have at the side of front of my house getting out because the thing that they were tied up to unloaded and so if you end up with the the dog bed unloading while your dog is roaming around then it loses contact with that point of interest and it starts to go elsewhere and i think that's also sometimes why people's villagers behave weirdly and start wandering off is because at certain times when the player is around doing other bits and pieces caving and you get a little bit further away from the village you find that a villager loses their points of interest maybe drops their profession starts walking out into the river trying to find wherever the heck else they want to go to and that's when you end up with you know AWOL villagers so I think there are so many nuances to implementing mechanics like this that at a certain point since Minecraft is not purely a pet simulation game they might have decided it's not worth the effort um yeah but, but I do think implementing more solid mechanics like this would give players a lot more control and a lot more of the feeling that the experience of having a a tamed wolf as a dog in their game was more what they wanted so yeah i i think jumbo's idea and the different tags and different behaviors and associations with existing mechanics in the game are all really well thought through i just don't know if it's something that the broader community would appreciate on the level that i feel like they should given the amount of effort that would have to go into it yeah and i think that's the same thing with the the dog breed situation that we've had on a, a conversation about before which is the scale becomes an issue because cats are generally all roughly the same size and they yeah. come in different coats and colors and things and i know they have very different features but like in general from a minecraft pixel cat standpoint you can get a variety of different cats on the same model without a big deal yeah domestic domestic gonna... cats in real life are all basically the same size and shape 
Yeah, roughly, right? Uh, but then you get into like dogs, and I mean, dogs comes in all kinds of sizes. Like mm -hmm. some of them are almost the size of horses, and then you've got chihuahuas. And so, like ultimately, you'd be leaving somebody out for trying to pre, you know, please all the dog owners out there. But I like the Vipertrix idea of just having different colored wolves in the same way that you can collect all the different patterns for cats in the game. If there was a black wolf, a white wolf, a gray wolf, you know, and maybe a timber wolf or something, you know, that you can collect. And again, to go back to how Minecraft likes to send people exploring, maybe those only appear in different biomes. You know, maybe the timber wolf is only in megatigas. You know, maybe the white wolf is only going to be in Arctic areas, in, in cold climate biomes. There could be some fun exploration there. Um, to to bring in some variety to wolves that don't are are not going to be a huge effort from a programming and development standpoint, but are going to help diversify the wolf at least a little bit, you know. And um, I'm not sure. I think black wolves actually, even in Minecraft, might be a little bit spooky, you know. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever seen um, footage of a big black wolf in like on social media or something like that, but they are terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> they, yeah, I bet. They look really creepy, really, really creepy. I think it's because of the, the they have such, um, I, I want to say close set eyes. They've got very binocular sort of set of 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 eyes compared to, to more domestic dogs just because of being a hunter and all that kind of stuff. And there's just their size in general. Yeah. Um, but I find they look a lot more like lions than they do dogs when you see a really big one. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to see that kind of stuff and see if you can pull that kind of thing into, into Minecraft. Does do wild wolves in Minecraft, do they like hunt sheep and stuff? Like, will you find yeah. them attacking things in the, in the game? So that, so that AI is there. Yeah. So I guess it's just a matter of trying to figure out what kind of pattern you could apply to um, a tamed wolf in game. I don't think they'd ever get to the point where you could like program it, but I like the idea of point of interest, you know, like a dog or a pet bull, I guess I should say, because to simplify things, if you had a pet bull and a pet bed, then it wouldn't matter whether it was a dog or a cat that you've tamed, like you, you could apply it to both. Um, I think the only thing that would be missing out of that list would be like a toy but I, d I don't know, like, I, again, even if I was able to play with a dog in Minecraft, I don't know how much time I would be spending doing it. So it's such a very specific idea, but I think worth talking about because it's sparked by, well, they're giving some love to the wolves by getting armor, you know, and, and I think that it just kind of is, is also pointing out, by the way, there's really nothing else that you can do with a wolf. You know, and so by adding the wolf armor, they're kind of also shining a spotlight on like the lack of features in wolves right now. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny reading on the Minecraft wiki about the amount of behaviors wolves have that you don't typically see just because of the not the the, the lack of juxtaposition between like where the wolf spawns and some of the stuff that they interact with. Like so they're hostile towards sheep, you see that quite frequently. Occasionally, if you stumble upon them in a tiger biome, you might see them being hostile to rabbits, because rabbits do spawn occasionally there, and foxes do as well. So foxes and wolves basically, like, fight, or the wolves will chase the foxes. They're also hostile towards baby turtles, which I didn't know, um, so that's quite amusing in itself, but you don't typically see wolves, like, at the beach after you've tried to hatch some turtles, um, but one more thing to bear in mind. They also, apparently, chase bats despite being unable to reach them, and they avoid llamas. <laughs> and so that's like, that's a surprise to me. Like, there are so many mechanics 
under the surface here that are related to wolves and their interactions with other mobs that just aren't part of the wolf's natural ecosystem. And I don't think any of those really apply to tamed wolves at that point. So I think they might stay, they still chase skeletons. I don't know if they go after sheep once you've tamed them, but I doubt it because typically you have wolves around your base and they, they, they don't, I don't think they go after the sheep. Um, and so, yeah, they probably don't go after baby turtles or chase bats around or, or avoid llamas at that stage. And it's, it's just a strange thing that there are all of these little interactions that you don't get to see the rest of the time. We have one more email for our big old mailbag today. This one comes in from Safir Algen, who is a landscape artist member of our Discord. And the subject is Minecraft player improvement. We thought this was a great one to wrap up the show with. They say, Hi Joel and Pixel Riffs. While recapping my last year in Minecraft, I realized that I really improved in different fields in the last 12 months. I got better at flying with Elytra. Thanks for the flying tutorial pics. I am way less afraid of the deep dark. And I explored new build styles and built bigger structures. What do you think of the things you got better at in Minecraft in the last year? Where would you like to improve in the new year? I want to get better at terraforming and landscaping. Happy holidays and keep up the great work. Safir Augen will find the perfect sign-off some days after sending this email. It's always the case. You know, you finish an <laughs> argument or you just you walk away from a situation where you were, you know, talking about something and you just you think of the best thing that you could have said, the yeah, funniest yeah. joke at the that comeback, party like, yeah. a day and a half later. <laughs> and you're just like, man... <laughs> Why am I not witty faster, you know? Um, so I was looking back through some screenshots that I have on this, you know, computer. And a good chunk of 2023 for me was spent in the western part of West Hill, which has fancier builds, windy streets, and generally is a little bit more jam-packed and less uniform than the rest of the town. And as a result, I think I got better at getting shape and detail into smaller footprints and smaller builds than the kind of, I'll say, quote unquote, bog standard houses in either boxes or L shapes that I was making in the other side of town when I was just new, like just learning how to do more medieval style builds. And I think that that's that kind of forced uh, lack of space uh, it, it pushed some creativity, it pushed some problem solving and, uh, made me make some bolder choices because at a certain scale, if you start to pepper in texture, it just looks kind of speckled. Like it doesn't really jive when you have like a 20 block high wall. It's so much easier to have like a gradient on that than on anything else. And I also found that because of that, I was pushing the roof pitch a lot higher so that on these smaller footprints of builds i could have a little bit more variety in the roof blocks that weren't just like a four to six high block roof it was more like eight or ten and that gave me a, a, a enough room to do a bit of a gradient you know i remember working with beehives and some other things um, i also think i got better at laying in paths and stairs and dense looking flora in the weirdly shaped blank spaces between those builds so winding staircases down to a river trying to connect two builds and be like, oh, you know what? Maybe I can just put like a, a pedway there, like a, a, an above ground path that connects to the, the wall or, you know, leaning into the, the game of yes and in that I've built this thing, I like this thing, but now I've got to figure out what's going to go next to it. Or I've built these two things that I really like. What on earth am I going to put in between them in this weird little windy space? And I found that I learned a lot about uh, density and trying to make things feel like they've been around for a while. So that's kind of like where I was in terms of 
things that I felt like I got better at. And now that I have that in my wheelhouse, I feel like I've got that that palette of options now in Minecraft. So when it comes to doing like a little path down to a brook or a quick build, I'm just like, oh yeah, I remember how to do shrubs now, you know, with uh, dark oak fences and uh, mangrove leaves. It looks like a thicket, you know, so I can do that because it's really dense. Or if I want something else, you know, I can start to bury uh, azalea saplings in the ground to get a very different look, you know, for the textures. And I think those little tricks, when you start to do them over and over again and try to not repeat yourself, you end up with this nice variety of of palette work that you can do in terms of, of building. So that's kind of where I pulled myself, you know, uh, from, you know, in 2023, I think is just going through those stages of like working through puzzles. And I think that's one of the benefits of a long-term project is that when you look at the, the progress from a retrospective, you can see that you were forced to work through these spatial problems, these textural challenges. And when you come out the other side, even though you may not be 100% happy with everything and you say, okay, well, lessons learned, I know what to avoid, but I think it, it makes you less scared to approach certain things, you know, like the next time I'm, you know, painted into a corner, so to speak in another build, I'm not really going to be that intimidated by it. Cause I know that I can figure out what to do and, and what scale to, to do it at. Yeah. So, so that's where I'm sitting at for, for 2023. In my case, I began 2023 with two massive projects which felt very different from each other. I started with the Castle on Empires Season 2, which was massive castle, bigger than anything I've ever built before, on top of a plateau that I had basically built by hand um, in, in the savannah in, in the Empires 2 world. And that was an unfinished project. It never got completed to the scale that i was like i'm done with this structure i i basically had to call it done once we reached a point where the server was going to be taken down and i i felt like we had to move on from that series and on to the next projects and at the same time i ended survival guide season two but having not done any work in that world really for a while and so that was a really kind of a flurry of castle building for the first three or four months of the year and i love doing that and i think i got better at that as i went uh studying form and uh the scale of structure from like really oversized examples because i was pulling inspiration from elden ring where the environment is something that the player has to interact with in a very different way to how we interact with things in minecraft and they're able to cram a ton of detail in while still making a really large imposing structure and so I was focusing on sight lines. I was focusing on what aspects of it I could pull from the, that game and what I had to fill in with my own knowledge and my own experience and just kind of winging it with some things and, and tying that all into the story of what I wanted the area to feel like. So on the one hand, I was doing that. And on the other hand, I was perfecting the redstone for my copper aging machine and making that a palatable and more automated structure than I'd made it previously, more automated redstone system. And I think that was a really interesting education in my own ability to craft redstone systems, which is not something I'd really done a great deal of before. I've done farms that are mostly sort of based in game mechanics rather than 
how you string together redstone components to achieve the desired result and as is often the case with redstone things something you could have done manually but the time saved in making it a redstone contraption or just the sheer satisfaction of watching something happen automatically instead of placing all of the blocks manually in different areas made a lot of sense to me and that started to click in a way that i think has improved my instincts as a technical player and improved my ability with redstone just understanding how the components worked and how they could fit together and so much of that was done through experimentation and not by looking up tutorials and figuring out how this counter system works and and what this and that can do and i think that's really galvanized my own approach to redstone in general which is that i want to do a lot more experimentation and figure out what i can do to improve systems that i would like in my own world rather than you know follow through on other people's tutorials for it and so then the second half of 2023 was me starting survival guide season three and that has all felt like revision since like i don't know if we're necessarily at the point where i'm exploring too many new mechanics other than a couple of things that were added in 1.20 like armor trim which don't really feel like something you need to improve about your gameplay <laughs> um but I think I've gotten better at explaining myself and articulating why game mechanics work the way they do or why I take a certain approach to building or exploring or redstone or, you know, resource gathering or whatever it happens to be. So I think my presentational style as a YouTube creator and as a streamer has gotten more concise and I've got a better outline going forward of what I want to do in 2024. So I think that's really where I'm at. We're probably going to save a bit of our chat about what we're looking ahead to in 2024 for the render distance this week because we are coming to the end of our show here. But any final thoughts on 2023 as we uh, wrap it up here, Joel? I think even though I started West Hill in 2020, not in 2023, uh, hitting that home stretch and trying to think about how to finish West Hill was definitely forefront in my mind. And I'm glad I didn't like verbalize a deadline. You know, like I think I've maybe casually mentioned that I'd try to get it done or try to get certain things finished by the end of the year. Um, but I think that uh, I'm glad that I didn't really put a hard deadline or, or push myself to play more often than I wanted or, or grind through a bunch of things. And one of the things that I've learned over the grand scheme, not just in 2023, but I think I've been more able to articulate it in 2023, is the patience on a big build like this is really key. And you have the ability to make better decisions when you're not really sure how to do something or where you think a build might go. Maybe that farm goes there. Maybe that tower is going to be so high by roughing it in and walking away and going about something in another part of the build where you know what you're going to do you know you know you're going to put a butcher shop there or you know that that road needs texture so let's just go do that for the next you know couple of hours and then as you continue to walk by naturally you will either be bothered by the the short rough idea that you put in and say like, mm, that tower needs to be four blocks to the left. I'm really glad I didn't build the whole thing. And I decided to move it at a later, you know, just the frame of it and then fill it in, that kind of thing. Uh, or you just, 
you just don't know what's going to go in that space. So you kind of rough in, I want the road to curve here. I don't know what's going to go there. I'll kind of let that percolate. And then as you walk by it more and more, you know, you'll say, while I was ready to build something there previously, I now know exactly what I want. And the wonderful thing about about Minecraft is, you know, you can move things. Like if you, if, if it's tedious, if it's a full build, but if you've only just kind of roughed in the road and you've not spent an hour texturing it, then if you have to move the road four blocks, then it doesn't bother you. You know, like I've moved roads a couple times, but I've left the texture of those roads to the very last minute where everything around them is built. I'm not moving anything. And I feel like the patience there is is key to like, if you don't rush through it, then you're not going to get frustrated by mistakes because you've taken the time to kind of let ideas percolate and build the ones that you're sure of first. And if you're not sure of like, you know, rough something in and move on and come back to it later, coming back to it later is, is always a good, uh, a good way to approach things within reason. Cause you don't want to like, you know, just procrastinate necessarily, you know? Yeah. Here's to, uh, procrastinating less and being more deliberate and giving yourself the freedom to make those decisions in 2024. Um, and with those words, we're going to wrap up this episode of The Spawn Chunks. Thank you so much for listening, folks, throughout all of this year. And we hope that you'll join us for our next episode, which is going to be a uh, look back at archaeology with Archaeoplays. So stay tuned for that. Uh, that will be dropping on January 1st. We are, <laughs> we've pre-recorded it for New Year so that you can start your year right with The Spawn Chunks. In the meantime, you can find more information about our show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about over at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can participate in the live show recording, which happens in Discord every week. We have our monthly Minecraft Hangouts returning in January and a quarterly Hangout coming up as well. We currently have 329 patrons, but there is always room for more. Special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, Mind Trip Media, Party Voyager, and Yitz. Thank you all for your support on this episode and this year. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on social media. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just tell a friend about The Spawn Chunks and that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked at thespawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixlriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixlriffs, where the Minecraft Survival Guide is currently in its third season. I will also stream three days a week on Twitch once I'm back from my holiday vacation with my family, uh, do behind-the-scenes work for my YouTube series, and play a couple of other games from time to time. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which will be back for season 10 in the new year, whenever that happens to start. You can find us through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm at Pixlriffs on both Twitter and instagram joel where can people find you online links to everything that i'm doing online can be found at joelduggan.com that includes the citadel cafe my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment i'll be recording the annual holiday roundtable with several friends later on today so you can look for that over the holidays 
I am Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I normally stream Thursday through Sunday, but it looks like that schedule is going to change over the holidays. So just stay tuned on social media and in my Discord for when I will be streaming. I split my time between Minecraft and Satisfactory lately, but I might throw in some other games over the holidays. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but maybe wait a few days before punching your Christmas tree.